0: Send your voice notes to Metro FM Talk.
1: 79 Thought Leader
0: Thursday. We're going to get them. Thought Leader Thursday on Metro FM Talk. 23 minutes it is after 8 p.m. It's our Thought Leader Thursday segment here on Metro FM Talk. And uh, tonight uh, we shine a spotlight. In the next few days or so, of course, will be May Day, 1 May. Uh, a day uh, celebrated by working people the world over. Uh, And uh, tonight uh, we thought it fitting uh, to speak to somebody who is uh, a veteran of the labor movement and somebody who cares uh, a lot about the plight of uh, workers in the informal sector, uh, which I guess for all intents and purposes in many parts of our country um, constitute a very significant part of the workforce and uh, people who are trying to eke out a livelihood for themselves and uh, of course the notion of decent work is not only confined to those that are just informal work but uh, has to find some expression uh, in the lives of those uh, atypically or informally employed and those operating in the informal sector pat horton is my guest tonight uh, coordinator uh, uh, of uh, collective bargaining uh, with uh, WeGo. Uh, the uh, uh, woman in informal employment, globalizing and organizing, also international coordinator of uh, StreetNet, an alliance of street vendors across the world, and a former trade unionist uh, activist, and uh, she joins us tonight as our thought leader. Pat, good evening to you and welcome. Thank you so much for taking time out to speak to us. Uh,
1: good evening. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, Pat, I mean, as I was saying just now in my introduction, uh, you you know, this segment is a segment where we try and not only, I guess, uh, do a bit of a biographical sketch and a profile of the thought leader and uh, their own experiences, observations, but I guess more importantly also to get a sense uh, from you as we near May Day your own assessment, uh, having been involved in uh, the broader labor movement uh, for many decades, of uh, where that movement is now and some of the challenges that it confronts. Um, and so in many ways, that's that's what we try and do. And uh, I'd like us maybe to start uh, with who Pat Horn is. Uh, where did you grow up and uh, what were some of your early influences?
1: Um, okay, well, um, I was actually uh, born when my parents lived in a place called Kopi Alien in the Free State. Where? Um, My father worked for the Department of Water Affairs, and uh, we moved around the country quite a bit uh, in those days, so uh, we didn't live there that long, and I certainly Mm -hmm. don't remember it. Um, But yes, uh, um, I lived uh, all around the country and then went to boarding school in Pretoria when I got to high school, and uh, then uh, went to Wits University, which Mm -hmm. is where I got involved in student politics. And maybe that's where um, I started on the road that led me where I am now.
0: But, I mean, I'm, I'm quite interested, I guess, in in the student movement of that time. Um, mm. Why the focus so much, I guess, on issues around working people? I mean, it might be anything from, like, New Sass's Wage Commission to... You know all of the okay, literacy well, projects. Why, why actually, that? Actually, when when
1: when I got to bits in 1970, it mm. was before the wages commission. I see, okay.
0: and I didn't get in.
1: I didn't get involved immediately in, in worker issues. I got involved in issues of um, human rights, mm. justice, the anti-apartheid movement. That's okay. pretty much what it was. And uh, I got there at the time when the black consciousness movement was active, and I was part of something called the University Christian Movement, which. Okay. Um, was quite a sort of radical movement. It wasn't so much the Christianity, really, but um, we were pretty much Mm. anti-establishment. All all elements of the establishment, anti-patriarchy, anti... anti In fact, we weren't very religious, to be honest. Um, uh, You know, um, anti-establishment, etc. And um, basically, uh, while I was there, we... Uh, got involved in um, uh, adult literacy projects using the Frarians methodology, which is basically about uh, adult literacy Mm. um, dealing with the the issues that bother you in your life. So it was quite a political methodology. Mm. Um, And uh, through the uh, literacy um, projects that I was involved in, I started to do some literacy with... Uh, groups of workers in the workers' committees, mm. in the um, uh, in the organisations, which were the the beginning of the trade unions that were re-emerging. So the Western Province Workers' Advice Bureau, the General Factory Workers' Benefit Fund, and the Industrial Aid Society in Johannesburg. Mm. So that laid the the basis for starting to work more with uh, workers.
0: Mm, mm. And then, I mean, you end up, I guess, going into full-time trade union uh, activities. Talk, talk to me about, I guess, um, the role of 1979 Vihan Commission in changing the landscape, um, certainly now that you think of it in hindsight. Yeah,
1: well, uh, actually, I, I was banned by the government in 1976. Okay. Um So from 76 to 81, I was not able to do any of that kind of work. So Vihon happened while I was banned. Uh But definitely Viharn was was very important. And when my banning order expired and I went back into the trade unions, uh, there were some reforms that had started to take place um, in the trade union movement, and Mm -hmm. the trade unions had grown quite a bit. And um, so I, you know, after a five-year break um, where I had to... Um, you know, do various odd jobs and so on because I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to do any of the things that I was uh, able to do. Um, so when I got back into the trade unions, and you know, that was obviously the formal sector still, mm. um, then uh, then is when we, where we seriously got started uh, with the trade unionism, which I had started uh, in 1976, just before I got banned, mm. which I would moved into from from the literacy teaching uh, area of work. So between uh, 1981, when my banning order expired, and uh, 1991, I worked in the trade union movement um, Mm. in in KwaZulu-Natal, Natal Uh, Natal, it was called in those days. Um, I worked uh, a a lot of that time in Durban, but some of that time I was actually in uh, northern Natal, um, up in in Mpangeni. Uh, During that time, I was working in the paper union. There are quite a lot of paper factories up that side of the
0: country. And then, I mean, at what stage, you know, you leave the mills uh, um, in the paper sector uh, and that type of organization? Uh, What piques your interest about, I guess, one, the informal sector, but also, I guess, uh, also questions of social reproduction? Because in many ways, uh, those issues are always interwoven, but sometimes drawn as distinct from all of the struggles that happened on the shop floor?
1: Well, um, I had uh, two small children by the time I was back in the trade unions. Okay. And uh, the the hours were very unfriendly to mm. giving uh, bringing up small children. So I, I actually had to stop working in the unions because uh, I would leave home before they woke up and get back after they were asleep. And uh, I realized that I had to... Um, make some sacrifices uh, because I had decided to have children and I clearly, you know, needed to play a role in their lives. So I actually left my work in the trade unions Mm -hmm. with great uh, reluctance because I I really, really enjoyed it. And um, during that time, I read something about the Self-Employed Women's Association in India, Which was very interesting because it was uh, a trade union of women in the informal economy. And I'd never really thought of that before. And the women in the informal economy have different hours in the kind of work they do. So one thing led to another. And I actually ended up um, raising funds to start a self-employed women's union in South Africa. Um, And uh, part of that, and at the beginning of that, I actually went to India for two weeks and spent two weeks with the organising department in SEWA, the Self-Employed Women's Association in Ahmedabad, and realised that it was very, very similar to the kind of organising work we'd done in the trade unions here in South Africa mm. when we were developing them. So that's basically how I did the shift from the informal to the formal. And mm. because I was a feminist, I was extremely interested in this intersection between workers movement and women's movement. Um, and uh, w- then founded a women's union called Seu, Self-Employed Women's Union, in uh, starting in Durban. Um, it ended up covering five provinces. Um, so that's where it started. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And, and I mean, I guess if, if we are to fast forward, um, I mean, this dichotomy often between informal and formal, Uh, And this idea that formal is the aspirational end, right, or teleological end, that's where you want to get to. You might start in the informal sector, but ideally we want you to formalize your operations. And how we understand decent work. I mean, just some of your thoughts on that.
1: Well, you you don't start with deciding where people want to go to. You you know, the the sort of bottom-up method of organizing workers is that you find Uh, out what their problems are and then you... Uh, basically turn those problems into negotiating demands, and then you do, you know, collective bargaining. So the same applies to workers in the informal economy, find out what their issues are, Mm. make those into negotiating demands. Of course, in their case, where they don't necessarily have an employer, then you also have to work out who is the negotiating counterpart, and then approach those people to have a negotiation. So with street traders, which is where we started in South Africa, We then, uh, you know, knocked on the doors of the municipality to go negotiate, uh, you know, with a team of of street traders. So developed a a collective bargaining methodology uh, based on that, and using, you know, what I've learned in the trade in the formal trade unions and, you know, all the negotiating skills, uh, and you know, adapting it. So um, the question of formalisation that came much much later because. after a while, we realized that all the demands that were coming from workers in the informal economy a demand to have identity cards to be recognized a demand to um have uh to be to to have social security a demand to um to have better working conditions we realized that those those all amounted to formalization of one sort of, or, or another mm. uh the, it wasn't necessarily the way that the employers saw in formalization because to them it just meant business registration. Mm. But formalization means, means a whole lot more than just business registration. Or the government, you might think that um, it's a way of us to be able to tax people. Um, and it's much more than that as well. So the question of formalization came up much later uh, after we'd been working for quite a while and I worked in contact with uh, my sisters in Seva in India mm. because they were already... Uh, they had a very um, uh, insightful leader, Ila Bhatt, um who's still alive. She lives in India. She's about to turn 90, and she was one oh. of my main mentors in life, I would say, because she taught me about how to organize in the informal economy. And uh, we worked together then internationally um, because they were starting to work through the International Labour Organization. Uh, and the first uh, the first international convention, which we fought for together, was the Convention on Home-Based Work. And then after that um, is when I got much more involved in street vendors. Mm. And um, so uh, by that time, we were involved in an, an international network, really, recognizing various kinds of informal work, so street vendors, home-based workers, mm-hmm. waste um subsistence fisher people, uh, informal construction workers. Uh, it, it's, it goes on and on. And once, once your eyes open to that side of the world, you start to see a number of things very differently. Mm-hmm. And um, to be honest, it was uh, much more interesting and challenging than my work in the... Formal sector trade unions, which I had very much enjoyed when I did that, mm-hmm. but uh, this was now a new frontier that um, you know I was able to cross in in solidarity with the uh, Indian Self Employed Women's Association and the international networks that mm-hmm. we uh, developed. Yeah.
0: Pat we're heading to to May Day in the next few days um, and I'm quite interested based on your experiences uh, which as you say were more exciting than organizing in traditional trade unions whether or not you know traditional forms of organizing working people um, can survive w- without a very clear engagement and interaction with informality uh, uh, work, in the informal sector, um, and 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 what some of your thoughts would be on that experience, because in many ways, many people in labour are saying we are at a crossroads. It does seem there's some kind of existential crisis, least of all here in South Africa.
1: Well, you know, we work very closely with the trade unions, and mm. um, we realised early on that uh, in in order to get acceptance about uh, workers in the informal economy as 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 the natural extension of the working class. Um, that our natural allies were the, the trade unions and, you know, including the workers in the formal economy mm. because work is getting formalized or informalized all the time. Yes. And um, it's extremely important um, as the world of work is changing, some work is getting uh, informalized, we pushing for for formality in the sense that I mentioned before, uh, you know, inclusion in, in legal systems and inclusion in social protection and so on. So actually, the the uh, alliance between workers in the formal and the informal economy is extremely important, mm. and we've had really important joint struggles between workers in the formal and the informal economy. Mm. Um, and you know, the thing is to is to identify the common issues. There are some issues that are not common, but uh, for for workers in you know doing different kinds of work and in different sectors, mm. uh, unity between them is extremely important. So we work closely with the trade union movement, and the trade union movement uh, is is in a much different place from where it was in the 90s, where we kind of struggled to get them to understand about informal work. We've made a lot of strides since then, and all the gains that we've made in the ILO have been uh, as part of the workers' group in the ILO, in alliance with the trade unions who, who go there. So um, we, it's, it, and, and what we do is um, talk to the formal trade unions to uh, explain to them about some of the different methodologies we have to use for negotiating this different idea of having negotiations with somebody that's not your employer, but somebody who who pretty, you're at their mercy for one reason or another, either in the space that you work on or you know something like that. So. Um, so, basically, it's, it's meant it's been very important to build up mm. that relationship. Mm. And so, we've been celebrating May Days jointly with the trade unions for many years now. Uh, in the 80s, we, we struggled for May Day, and we used to observe May Day, even if it wasn't official. People mm. used to get, uh, their pay used to get docked. But, you know, in the last um, 10, 15 years, we, um, workers in the informal econ- economy, uh, celebrate May Day jointly sure. with sure. Uh, formal workers.
0: Pat, Last question, and it's so unfortunate we have run out of time. So many more questions I wanted to ask you. In the informal sector, I mean, in your observation, how are we dealing with this challenge that is uh, coming up of, um, I don't know what to call it, Afrophobia, Xenophobia, or you know the implications of uncontrolled immigration? Uh, we can look for as many eu- euphemisms as we want, uh, but I think it's quite clear what it is that I'm referring to. The sense that many South Africans uh, have that, you know, many um, foreign nationals and immigrants are overrepresented in the informal sector. Um, with your experience, I guess, in that space, what, what do you make of, of uh, how we've spoken about some of these tensions look, in the uh, informal sector? The, the issue of
1: migrant workers, there are migrants in the formal sector and yes. there are migrants in the informal economy. Mm. And to be honest, it's a very similar issue in formal sector workplaces as well as the informal. I mean, look at the truck drivers issue. Sure, sure. It's as bad, if not worse than what's happening in the informal economy. And even in the informal economy, there are different sectors. There's more division around this issue among uh, street traders than there is among uh, a sector like waste pickers, for example. And I think there's you know various reasons uh, for that. Um, you know, the problem at the moment is that um, it's not as if we've had an influx of, of migrants into the country in the last two years. In fact, we haven't. But what we have had is more competition for existing resources, the existing resources including space, including access to markets, including uh, and in a time when markets have been shrinking because of COVID and many mm-hmm. people having less uh, 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 disposable income. So the the increased pressure because of of uh, competition for resources um, is what has uh, resulted in um, a, a, an explosion of. Um, Um, sort of uh, division uh, between South African and non-South African workers in many sectors of the economy, including the informal economy. So it's a challenge to all of us in the labor movement
0: um,
1: to fight this issue because we organize along the lines of of internationalism. We we believe that... uh, Hold the line there for me for a second.
0: Get extra savings with Checker's Liquor Shop, like two 750ml bottles of Clipperf Premium Brandy for only 340 rand. Save 60 rand. Offer valid until 8 May in store or get it delivered with LiquorShop.co.za. Not for persons under the age of 18. Drink responsibly. with young businessman Tabo and his grandfather who insists that nothing is for Mahala in business. Mm-hmm. That's right, mushi When I was young, Business coaching was done at business offices in business hours, and they would charge you business rates. Those were the old days, Grootman. Now with Fundaba on the FNB app, see so Fundama business skills on the go, twenty four seven, giving you business knowledge, tools, and skills yeah? in isiZulu and four other languages to help you start, run, and grow your business. Mahala. mahala business lessons. Obvious. Funda, I'm a business skills on the go with Fundaba on the FNB app. Switch to FNB where one simple change makes a big difference. First. National Banker Division of First Rand Bank Limited and authorized FSP and credit provider. T season rules apply. Hello? Vuyo, you won't believe it! Did you hear that Total Energies is giving away two Mini Cooper Clubments mm. if you buy three promotions worth 50 Rand or more? Wow. So you spend like 150 bucks wow. and you can win a hot red mini. mini Looks like Sharon left to go get those promos at Total Energies. And stand a chance to win herself one of two Mini Cooper club bands. See you on the forecourt. Don't miss out. T's and C's apply.
1: Thought Leader Thursday. We gonna get them.
0: Thought Leader Thursday on Metro FM Talk. Yeah, it's our Thought Leader Thursday segment here on Metro FM Talk. I'm in conversation with Pat Horn and uh, Pat... Uh, yeah, we had a spot break there that neared on us, but uh, I'd like you to complete the point you were making, where you were suggesting, I guess, this is also about competition over resources, and uh, uh, you're making the point around the internationalism of how you organise.
1: Yes, um, you know, one thing that 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 I've learned in in my work, both in the in the formal and the informal uh, sector of of uh, of the workers' movement, is that. Um, International solidarity is really important because the uh, the labour market uh, and, and the world of work is, is, is global. Um, and if one only organises workers in one particular area of the world or one particular uh, nationality or whatever, um, then ultimately uh, you know you, you get divided and it becomes really difficult to um, uh, to organise for improvement. So international worker solidarity is extremely extremely important in, in all sectors. Um, and including workers in the informal economy. In the street traders have an international organisation called StreetNet. Uh, the waste pickers, um, you know, are develop- have international presence and uh, are in the process of setting up an international organisation. is an international domestic workers' federation for all the same reasons mm. why the formal sector workers have their international federations and confederations. And um, so uh, starting to have divisions around nationality uh, flies in the face of that and um, uh, weakens uh, workers' organization through those kinds of divisions.
0: Pat? So
1: um, we have to be really patient about this issue and mm. uh, try to um, uh, have, have uh, a, a unity across uh, nationalities. Yeah, indeed, indeed.
0: Pat, we're going to have to leave it there. so unfortunate that we have run out of time, but uh, thank you so much for taking time out to speak to us this evening and uh, wish you over the next few days or so a happy May Day. And, uh, yeah, uh, look forward, I guess, uh, to uh, speaking to you in the future around some of the work that you guys do. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Pat Horn there speaking to us, a veteran trade. Uh